So two weeks ago, we talked about the recording at Folsom Prison. That was in 1968. It was such a huge success that Johnny and the executives at Columbia wanted to try that again. They wanted to ride that wave of momentum. And so they set a date in 1969 to go to a different prison to do another live album. So they went to San Quentin State Prison, which is it's just north of San Francisco in California, if you're not familiar with it, and they recorded this album. I want to show you what was on the album. Here it comes. This is the songs that actually made it into the recording. Um, and there's a couple interesting things about what actually ended up on the album, one of which is uh, this one right here, A Boy Named Sue. This was one of his uh, biggest singles, one of his biggest hits. Um, and this song has kind of an interesting backstory. In fact, uh, Johnny didn't actually write that song. Boy Named Sue was written by somebody else who you may be familiar with. A guy by the name of Shel Silverstein wrote The Giving Tree, right? You know that book? A book that's very special to most of us, special to me as well. Um, Shel Silverstein originally wrote that song. He had given it to Johnny. Johnny was planning on recording it after he did this album, but uh, June Carter packed the song in his, in his luggage when he went to go play the show, and then he just happened to grab it on his way to the concert. And so after they had played enough songs that he felt like they had enough for an album, he turned to his band and said, put something together. And so they started to play, and then he played this song, Boy Named Sue, for the first time ever on this, at this show, and it went on to be recorded and to become one of his big hit singles. In fact, it was number two in the nation for like three weeks in a row, right behind Honky Talk Woman by Rolling Stones. Right, so it was unrehearsed, never played before, not written by him, and it went on to become one of his greats. Now, if you look at this uh, album cover, or the album, the uh, song listings on the album again, you see there's two San Quentins. This is not a typo, this is not an error. This is how the whole thing went down. So he goes into the prison, he plays this song for the inmates, the prisoners, uh, and it was such a huge success, like they just clung to it. And if you listen to the album, it's all live, so you can hear the inmates going crazy. They, they began to cheer for him and play, uh, wanted him to play it again. So they just went back into the song again. And after the second time he played it, uh, it, it was still so much energy. You can hear the applause and the inmates going crazy. And when they got done with that, he said, well, maybe we'll do it again at the end. He goes, it's kind of growing on me. <laughs> like, they were so enthralled with this song, they just wanted to keep hearing it. So this song, San Quentin, I mean, it's a song of solidarity, which he was known for, which Joe talked about last week. But there's something underneath that solidarity that I think is so important for us to see, important for us to think about. So what I wanna do is I wanna show you what Johnny said when he introduced San Quentin at the prison, and then I wanna look at the lyrics of the song, and then I wanna talk about the thing that's underneath all of it that's important for us. Okay, so before he went into that song, uh, San Quentin, he stepped to the microphone in a very somber and kind of serious tone, and he said this. This is how he introduced it to them. He said, I was thinking about you guys yesterday. I've been here three times before, and I think I understand a little bit about how you feel about some things. It's none of my business how you feel about some other things, and I don't give a care about how you feel about some other things. But anyway, I tried to put myself in your place, and I believe this is the way that I would feel about San Quentin. 
right? So it's the idea of solidarity. I, I, I was thinking about you. I've put myself in your shoes. What would it be like if I was here? So he writes this song, and here's the lyrics. <clears throat> San Quentin, you've been a living hell to me. You've blistered me since 1963. I've seen them come and go, and I've seen them die. And long ago, I stopped asking why. San Quentin, I hate every inch of you. You've cut me, and you've scarred me through and through. And I'll walk out a wiser, weaker man. Mr. Congressman, you can't understand. San Quentin, what good do you think you do? Do you think that I'll be different when you're through? You bend my heart and mind, and you warp my soul. Your stone walls turn my blood a little cold. San Quentin, may you rot and burn in hell. May your walls fall, and may I live to tell. May all the world forget you ever stood, and the whole world will regret you did no good. San Quentin, I hate every inch of you. Like when you just read it, it's a heavy, heavy song, isn't it? And so not only is there this deep sense of solidarity, there's also this like rebuke and critique of the criminal justice system. Like this guy who had this outlaw image that he maintained, he's in this prison singing a song about how this whole thing isn't really working. He, he sings about the brutality and the ineffectiveness of the institution. Johnny was one of the early advocates of like national prison reform. And this was going on in the late 60s. This was released in 1969. So when he's singing this song and the inmates feel like this guy who they admire and look up to, that he can relate to their experience and was on their side, the inmates embrace this thing wholeheartedly. And you can, if you listen to that album, you can hear the eruption of applause and cheering for that song. And they begin to plead with him to play it again. They're going crazy. And so he did. And the second time, the applause is even louder. There's so much energy in the room there was this concern for a moment by the guards that they were going to have a full-scale riot on their hands. You see, in that moment, Johnny tapped into this deep sense of connection with these inmates. He connected through his music and through his lyrics to the hurt and the pain and the despair of the prisoners. And by doing so, it created this spark of energy. It created this thing within them. What I find really, really interesting about this song, if you think about it for a minute, like what he does here, think about what the song doesn't do. Think about what he doesn't say in all of this. He's writing a song and singing this song for guys in prison. And what he doesn't do is that he doesn't sing about like hope and redemption and some sort of glorious future. He doesn't sing about what it will be like when they escape the trappings of prison. He doesn't sing about what life will be like on the outside when their time is done. He doesn't paint a picture of like some perfect world somewhere else in order to give them a sense of hope. That if they can just get out of here and get to there, then everything will be better in that perfect, serene, wonderful elsewhere. 
He says, this place is a living hell. He says, do you think this thing is working? He says, you warp my mind and you warp my soul. He says, I hate every inch of this place. And the result is not like this sadness and despair and somberness with the inmates. The result is this new energy because the prisoners now feel like as if they've been seen and heard and related to. You know, when it comes to like our lives and our world, all the stuff that we as humans go through in the course of a lifetime, sometimes it seems in the realm of like church and Christians and stuff, it seems like we often try to dismiss or push by or brush past some of our difficulties with the idea of like this happy ever after type mentality. But the reality is that that's not, that's not the way the Bible actually works. That's not the way the gospel works. Yes, there is glory and hope of the resurrection, but first there was the pain in the agony of the cross. Yes, there's excitement on something like Easter and what it means for us and our future, and I get it, but before the tomb was empty, the son was hanging on the cross, crying out to the father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've actually heard it said about that line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that this is the day that even Jesus became an atheist. Because here he is going through this hurt, this pain, this agony, this suffering. He's feeling as though God has abandoned him. He's got no one with him. You know, this is why even uh, over the past couple years, we started doing a Good Friday service at church before Easter. And we've intentionally tried to make those services like really dark and really heavy. If you've been to it, maybe you know what I'm talking about. We tried to uh, like almost embrace the idea of, of the despair that the people who believed that this guy, Jesus, was going to be the Savior, what they would have experienced after the cross, before anything else had ever happened. And I remember like the first year we did it, we had a couple of people come out in, in love, it was, it was in love, but what they said was, I didn't like that. <laughs> that was dark and kind of depressing. And I was like, yeah, I know, isn't it awesome? Like, exactly, like, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what we were trying to do. Like, it's easy to love the resurrection part of the story. I mean, what's not to love? That's what we hang our hope on. That's what so much is built on. It's a lot harder to embrace the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the abandonment of the cross. You see, but there's something very powerful. There's something very powerful about honoring and acknowledging the difficulty. There's power in what you might call like lament. St. Quentin, this song is a lament, a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. I hate every inch of you. There's power in that lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a lament. Uh, an, an expression of deep grief and sorrow. Johnny wasn't singing about the hope of tomorrow in prison. He was singing about the hurt and the pain of today. Jesus wasn't on the cross crying out about the beauty of the resurrection. He was crying out about the pain and the suffering that he was experiencing in this 
moment. And what it seems like to me is that for a lot of people, it's like we don't want to deal with the dark stuff. We don't, we don't like to step into the lament. And what I've noticed for many Christians is that for some reason, this idea of like faith and lament are like on opposite sides of the spiritual spectrum. As if, it's almost like the, if you have this lament, it's almost like lament is kind of like doubt. And if you have faith, then you can't have doubt. If you have faith, you should never doubt or question or get angry or express any frustration towards God. And, it, and, it, and if you do have doubt or questions or anger or frustration, then your faith is somehow like lacking. And I think the important thing, like the really important thing that I think we often miss here is that in a time like ours, in a world like ours where craziness seems to be like around every corner, is that lament isn't the opposite of faith. It isn't the opposite of faith, but rather lament is the expression. It's the, it's the expression of a growing and maturing faith. Lament and faith can coexist. Questioning and crying out to God are deep and honest manifestations of your faith. You know, I, I've talked with a few folks over the past year, especially uh, church people, non-church people, who have come to me with their wrestling with a lot. I get it. I understand it. But they, they will tell me about what's going on, and then I've had a few people come to the place where they, they just go, <clears throat> I feel like I'm losing my faith. And I, and I say to them, like, elaborate on that, would you? Like, explain to me what you mean by that. Like, get behind just that statement. Tell me what that means to you. And so there was one guy in particular, and he began to go, well, you know, I, I'm a good Christian, I go to church, I, I, I give money to the church, I, I, I help others, I read my Bible on a day, like, he goes, but then this, this, this thing keeps happening, and I feel like, where is God in the middle of that, and how come he hasn't stepped up, and how come he hasn't helped out, and I feel like I've been left alone, and I just feel like I'm losing my faith, and I have the tendency, I've learned to, at first I say, wow, that's a lot, and then I say, I'm sorry you've been going through that. And then I say, and? <laughs> and you could see like the confusion. What do you mean and? I just told you like I'm losing my faith and I feel like I'm not close to God and God's abandoned me and all this stuff. And I go, okay. What do you mean okay? How can you say that? I feel like I'm really struggling here and you're not actually giving me any answers. Why are you? And, I, and, I, and I've come to this realization that I expressed to this guy. I said, look, welcome to the tradition where for thousands and thousands of years, people have been going through and experiencing the exact same thing as you. You're actually part of a pretty good club now. Because if you look at the Bible, the Bible is full of lament. The Bible is chock full of all kinds of lament. The Psalms are full of lament. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's a whole book dedicated to lament. This is nothing new. This, this doesn't negate your faith. It actually might be a part of it. Old Testament scholar <clears throat> and theologian Walter Brueggemann talks about how uh, when you look at the Psalms, you can classify basically any of the Psalms into one of three categories. There's songs of orientation, there's songs of disorientation, and then there's songs of reorientation. And he talks about how like the songs of orientation are like, they're the ones that, there's, they're songs of praise and confidence and trust in God. And the righteous are being rewarded and the wicked are being punished. And, and we like those kind of things. 
Songs of disorientation are, are songs about lament and grief and protest and the world is falling apart and bad things are happening to good people and I can't seem to find God in any of this and my life has become a bit shaky. I don't feel solid in who I am and in what's happening. And then there's psalms of reorientation where these are like orientation songs but they're like deeper. They're on the other side of the disorientation where you've gone through something difficult and then God has broken into your world in some sort of new reality and there's this deeper sense of maturity and understanding with who you are in your faith. Let me show you a couple examples. So here's a psalm of what you would call orientation. Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through, your, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foes and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Orientation, this is who you are, this is what it's like, this is how things work. But let me show you disorientation. Psalm 74, one through nine. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Right, like that's, anytime you start using words like this, like you're in a dark place, really forever? It might have been a month, a year, I don't know. For, why have you rejected us forever? This is a deep, disorienting feeling. Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the nation you purchased long ago, the people of your inheritance, whom you redeemed. Mount Zion, where you dwelt. Turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins. All this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up their standards as signs. They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled uh, the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. Watch this. We are given no signs from God. We don't see him anywhere in the middle of our difficulty. No prophets are left. And none of us knows how long this will go on. How long this will be. Like, do you hear the hurt and the pain and the despair? Can you relate at all, all this terrible stuff they've seen and experienced, and they're going, we, God, we don't even feel like God is around. How long is this going to continue? This is disorientation, right? Let me show you reorientation, which looks a lot like orientation, but it's a little bit deeper. It's on the other side of disorientation. Psalms 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord most high is awesome, the great king over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of the trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises for God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. You see, so, and what happens, I've noticed, is we like the orientation stuff because it's comforting and it's nice and it makes us feel good. And then we like the reorientation stuff because it's like exciting and it's powerful and something's moving and we've gone through the struggle and we're on the other side of it. But we seem to really struggle and avoid 
the disorientation parts because it's uncomfortable. It's difficult because we've some reason, for some reason, equated like anger and doubt and questioning with that which opposes what it means to have faith or be faithful. And the problem here, the catch here, is that you can't really get to the reorientation part without first going through the disorientation parts. And the reality of life is you won't just be in the orientation parts forever because something will get in the way. You may have a year like 2020 that may bring a whole lot of disorientation, but you can't get to the reorientation without first going through the disorientation. You can't get to the resurrection without the cross coming first. You see? Walter Brueggemann talks about how he doesn't understand how like churches, especially like we don't use a lot of lament or like the psalms of darkness in church services. And he doesn't, under, he like has this whole thing about why it doesn't make sense to him when there's actually so much power there. But I kind of get it. I mean like, I don't know that people would want to keep showing up to church if all we did was talk about how life sucks all the time, right? <laughs> like, I'm not going there anymore. <laughs> Those guys are awful. <laughs> we want to go to church to be uplifted, right? And encouraged. We want to come get our daily dose of God so that we can make it through the weeks until we can come back, right? It's almost like this addiction we have where we just, we want to keep showing up so that we feel good about ourselves so that then we can take on the world. And, but he says, no, you're missing out when you don't take time sometimes to go through the disorientation, to go, to lean into the lament. Watch what he says right here. Uh, he says, I think that serious religious use of the lament psalms has been minimal because we have believed that faith does not mean to acknowledge and embrace negativity. We have thought that the acknowledgement of negativity was somehow an act of unfaith, as though the very speech about it conceded too much of about God's loss of control. The point to be urged here is this. The use of these psalms of darkness may be judged by the world to be acts of unfaithful and failure, but for the trusting community, their use is an act of bold faith. So lament is not a lack of faith, it's not a failure. Lament can be seen as this act of a boldness of faith in the middle of the hurt and the pain and despair. If we avoid the expressions of, of anger and frustration and suffering, I think we actually lose the power of what the gospel is. I think it minimizes why it is the good news. Without the lament, Faith can very easily just become this like superficial, shallow, surface level thing that we use to gloss over the actual stuff we're dealing with. The real stuff, the deep stuff, the heavy stuff, the stuff that we don't admit to each other on Sunday when we say, how's it going? I'm fine, how are you? Oh, it's good. Is it? Is it? Because I struggle, I'm sure some of you struggle. When, if, if we don't allow ourselves this expression, this lament, the pouring out of the grief and sorrow, our faith has this, can very easily become very shallow. I mean, you understand why this is so important for us, like now, right? Like in our world, in this moment, like last year was tough, and this year, like, didn't get off to a great start either. 
And if we view like questioning and doubt and frustration and anger, maybe feeling at times, feeling like you're hopeless or overwhelmed, if we view these things as being opposed to what it means to have faith, then of course we're gonna come to the place of feeling like we've somehow lost our faith. I mean, if, if that's the case, if having questions and doubt and anger and frustration, if that's what it means to lose your faith, then I'm gonna be honest with you, last year about April, my faith was destroyed. <laughs> Do you know? Like there was so much, there was so much to be frustrated at, that I was angry with, that I was upset about, that I was wrestling with and struggling with. That made me feel like what the psalmist wrote when he said, God, why have you rejected us? We see no signs. How long is this going to keep going on? You see, but if I come to a place and an understanding, the power of lament, this, this passionate expression of grief and sorrow, because of what we've been through, because of what you've been through, because of what I've been through, it allows us to express this much deeper thing. It allows for me to acknowledge what's actually going on within me. It allows me to uh, have this expression of what I'm feeling in the realness of the self and at the deepest of my levels. And in the acknowledgement and expression of what is, it actually brings to life this new type of energy, maybe even what you might call hope. You see, Johnny Cash in San Quentin, he doesn't paint a picture of what life will be like on the outside. He doesn't sing about how his life will be better someday out there in the great unknown and what comes after in the great beyond. In San Quentin, he sings, I hate every inch of this place. And it might not seem like it. It might not seem like a gospel hymn. But when you gather a bunch of inmates who are longing for freedom and redemption, and they begin to put words to the experience and the difficulties that they are having, it gives birth to this whole new thing and in fact becomes this anthem of hope. Jesus, when he's on the cross, doesn't say some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. He doesn't say, my hope is in some day else, somewhere else. My hope is in a future kingdom of glory and crowns and the throne. And on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Kind of sounds like he's lost his faith a little bit, doesn't it? But when you realize that what he's expressing, when he's expressing something like this, something that we all experience from one time to another, it actually becomes this deep expression of solidarity with the very creation that he came to love and save. And in doing so, gives us the hope that we were looking for all along. You see, you cannot have reorientation without disorientation. You cannot have resurrection without the cross. And my hope for you is that you will come to see that lament 
this deep expression of grief and sorrow is not the absence of faith, but the boldness of a faith in process. You know, each and every week we're blessed to participate in the sacred meal that we call communion. We gather together and we partake of these sacred elements, the bread and the juice, that which represents the body and the blood of Jesus. And the instructions that Jesus gives about this meal are to do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me, of the body that was broken, the blood that was spilled. And it's almost like this meal carries with it the very idea that we're talking about today, doesn't it? There's this sense of solidarity. There's this sense of lament, the passionate expression of grief and sorrow. There's this sense of disorientation built into this moment because we remember that love became one of us to teach us how to live and that even love doubted love on the cross. Maybe there's something to that, like in a really deep sort of way. If you found yourself this year struggling, wrestling, wondering, doubting, getting upset, getting angry, asking, wondering, where is God? Yeah. You're in good company. Welcome to a tradition where for thousands and thousands of years, people have felt the exact same way. So we're gonna pass the bread and the juice. We ask that you mask up for a moment to receive the emblems. And then we ask that you take time to remember, to remember that love suffered for love's sake. Maybe today you've, you've been carrying a lot of guilt, worry, shame, regret, because you've been angry with God for a while. Maybe you feel like you're losing your faith. Can I say to you in love and Welcome to the tradition. You're part of a pretty good club. Maybe in this moment you need to express to God exactly where you're at and know and trust that it's going to be okay because here's the thing, the God that I believe in is big enough to handle anything you can throw at him. Like, who are you? Who do you think you are? God can't handle your stuff? Get over yourself in love, in love. Maybe you're here today and you need to be reminded that there's nothing that you're going through or experiencing or will experience that Jesus himself didn't also experience. Maybe you feel like you've got a whole lot on your plate right now, more than you can handle, and you feel as if God is nowhere to be found. And maybe you just need to take this moment and maybe even utter the very words of Jesus where you feel like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And know that it's not a, an issue of like, is he going to be upset with you? No, no, no. Know that there's power in the lament. There's power in the expressing of the grief and sorrow. And it may just be that actually coming to the place of speaking this thing and acknowledging it and accepting it that actually leads you to the hope that you so desperately want and need. So we're gonna pass the trays and give you this moment to commune. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We're so very blessed for the opportunity to gather in a time like this, in a place like this. God, we know we live in such a crazy, crazy time to be alive. There's so much beauty and wonderful and good, and there's so much ridiculousness. God, sometimes we feel like you're with us every moment, and sometimes we feel like we couldn't be farther away. God, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for sending love itself to be among us. We thank you that we have such an incredible example that even love doubted love for a moment. God, we thank you that by acknowledging and stepping into the hurt and the grief and the pain, that even in that place, we can find the hope that you offer. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we get to participate in this beautiful, sacred moment, this holy meal. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
guys so much for being here um so next week we're gonna do uh hurt and then the week after that we're gonna do uh when the man comes around and then the week after that we're gonna start a brand new series that we're calling she speaks and we're gonna be looking at the ancient wisdom of the bible uh where wisdom is portrayed as a woman and the advice that she gives and it's i'm really really excited for it. I, there's so much 
really good stuff that from this book of that's thousands of years old is more relevant now than I've ever seen. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, my hope and my prayer for you as we leave this place is that you will come to see that there is power in lament, in the expression, passionate expression of the grief and sorrow, and that your lament, your doubt, your uncertainties, your frustration, your anger at what life has brought you is not the losing of your faith, but it's the manifestation of a faith that's growing. So hang in there. Keep your head up. Know that you are stepping into a tradition that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years and that you, my friends, are in good company. So hang in there and keep your head up and trust that God's gonna get you through this as well. May God be working in you to create a better you. May God be working through you to create a better world. God bless. Go in peace.